Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Hojin, and I'm one of the pastors here at our church. And I'm just a couple of feet away from Pastor Danny. Uh, there's nothing more human than seeing someone get the giggles, and there were tears shed by by those uh, the volunteers here. Um, today, I have the privilege of sharing from God's Word. Uh, there is a birthday tradition in Brazil where the birthday boy or girl always gets the first piece of cake, but then he or she is supposed to give it to the most important person in their life. Typically, it is given to their mom or dad, which is completely understandable. But I recently came across uh, this video of a birthday boy named Ryan where things happened a little differently. O primeiro pedaço. Vai para nós. Muito bem, Rian. Primeiro pedaço. Vai para uma pessoa muito legal, muito querida, que é. Mamãe! Antônio! Ah! Que foi, amor? Ficou emocionado, Rian. The younger boy, Antonio, is Ryan's little brother. They were speaking Portuguese, but you can get the picture, right? Uh, we don't know whether Antonio expected Ryan to give it to their mom or dad, but he definitely did not expect to get it for himself, right, from his older brother. Antonio was completely blindsided and overwhelmed to receive this very special first piece of cake that, that meant so much to the point of tears. And like most brothers learn to do when they're crying, they just hug it out. Uh, two uh, common definitions uh, for the word grace are unmerited favor or undeserved kindness. From one perspective, what just happened in that video is just a piece of cake. But for Ryan and Antonio, it was this special expression of love from an older brother received by a younger brother that falls under this definition of grace. Unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. Uh, this morning, we begin a new sermon series called A Community of Grace. Uh, as we enter 2022, we want to be a church family that experiences, pursues, and shares the grace of God together. The favor and kindness that we receive from God always moves us towards God, His ways, His promises, and His purposes. And grace is often seen as a personal experience, but grace is also very much a communal experience. As we individually encounter the grace of God, we actually encounter it corporately. Over four Sundays, we will study the book of 2 Peter to deepen our understanding and experience of God's grace as a church family. We want to see how God's favor and kindness towards us helps our church become who we were meant to be. So let's read uh, God's word together. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting from verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting from verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly and sisterly affection, and brotherly and sisterly affection with love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second Peter is attributed to Simon Peter, one of Jesus's OG 12 disciples. And in this letter, he is most likely writing to people who are deeply embedded in Greek culture. Uh, the language in Second Peter, if you've ever read it, is very different than uh, from First Peter. And there are words and phrases used in this book that aren't really used in the rest of the New Testament. Uh, but they're actually used in other writings of Peter's time. Here, Peter is, quote-unquote, speaking their language in order to share about Jesus in a way that his readers can readily uh, understand. And in the beginning of this letter, Peter starts by focusing on God's grace through Jesus. Peter doesn't say explicitly or use the word explicitly grace much, but he does talk about all the qualities of unmerited favor, undeserved kindness that we receive through Jesus and how it deeply affects how we live our lives. So again, we're focusing on grace that we experience as a community, as a church family. So this morning, we want to see that God's grace gives us direction and purpose as a community. God's grace helps us see who we are meant to be as a church. And specifically here, we want to look at how God's grace gives us direction and purpose through our past, in our present, and toward our future. So first, our past. Remember what God's grace has done. This is how we see God's grace give us direction and purpose. Remember what God's grace has done. Peter begins his letter by focusing on Jesus and, and what he has accomplished. In verse 3, we read, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Here, Peter is telling us, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have been graciously given everything we need to live godly lives. And this word godliness conveys uh, a moral, devoted, and just life. It's not just a religious life. It's a moral, devoted, and just life. It's a life full of goodness. God's grace through Jesus has provided us a way to become who we were meant to be, specifically in verse 4, that we would become partakers of the divine nature. This is unusual language, but God shows us His grace so that we can share somehow in His character. Somehow we, we share in who God is as Lord and, and of the, God of the, the whole universe. And through Jesus, we have been given everything we need to resemble God in some mysterious way. This past act of Jesus coming to this world and paying the ransom for our lives with his own life means that we have been freed and liberated to live godly lives. As a community, God's grace in the past through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the basis of all that we should be as a church and all that we should do as a church. To be a godly church, to resemble Jesus as a, as a church family, to be full of God's goodness as a local church in greater Boston. And 
you know, truthfully, it's, it's very easy to live with grace amnesia. It's it, memory loss of, of God's grace in the past. So much of our lives focuses on the present or, or building up to the future. And grace amnesia makes, um, makes us treat God's acts of, of love and deliverance through Jesus as, as old news. We only care about what new experiences of grace that we can have and, and what might be store uh, for us in the future. And the problem with grace amnesia is not that um, we want more grace. God's grace is something that we should desire all the time. The problem is that we minimize God's grace in the past. So what does this mean for us as a church community? I think it means that we should grow in remembering God's grace, specifically at Cornerstone. Instead of grace amnesia, we need grace recall. You know, uh, God has worked through this relatively unknown church um, in a lot of ways. And we may never become as famous as some of those mega churches that you might know that gather thousands of people or those churches that produce their own music. Uh, But we have experienced God's grace in so many ways. Uh, Through this church, many of us know specific individuals who have been saved uh, through some means, some means of ministry here at our church who never knew him before. Through this church, God, God has called back a lot of people who wandered away from him. God has brought healing and redemption to people. God has created new biological families of Jesus followers. And God has touched the lives of people in greater Boston and beyond through Cornerstone. And I say that knowing that Cornerstone is far, very far from a perfect church. There is much more that we could and should do. There are also so many ways and so many things that we need to do better, especially in our love for people who don't look like us. But if there is anything at Cornerstone that resembles Jesus, that reminds us of Jesus, it is because God has been gracious to this church, and we must never forget that. So how can you and I practice grace recall? We need to learn and remember what God has done in and through our church community. And it's not to make us feel good about ourselves or to puff ourselves up as, as, you know, we we think of Cornerstone as the best, best church ever, but it's to grow in our amazement of who God is and what God has done. In uh, very concrete terms, In very concrete terms, for Cornerstone to be a community of grace, we need to share more testimonies, more stories of God's grace at work with one another. Has God blessed you, even in the smallest way, through someone or something in this church community? Would you consider remembering God's grace tangibly and share that story with at least one other person? When we remember what God Uh, God's grace has done for us in the past, we are shown who we are meant to become. Peter tells us that this gift of God's grace is given so that we would become godly, that we would become like Jesus. And through this life that we live, it it causes us to consider God's grace in the present, which is the next point. God's grace gives us direction and purpose in the present as we do our part in growing in God's grace, as we do our part in growing in God's grace. Peter leaves uh, very little room for misunderstanding here. Because of God's past grace, he tells us in verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith. The language there is very strong. It says to exert your energy to, to grow your faith. 
Peter knows that even though God's grace in Christ was given freely and generously, we have a part in receiving and responding to his grace. While God's grace has been accomplished, while God's grace has accomplished a task that we could not in our own power, there is a human responsibility growing in his grace. Godliness does not happen passively and no one becomes more like Jesus by accident. This long list uh, in verses 5 to 9 is a literary device where each quality is built upon the previous one and, and the final quality of the list is the climax. It's a literary device. And Peter is not necessarily saying that these are the only qualities to pursue or that they need to come in this precise order. Peter is most likely saying that faith is always the starting point and love is always the end point as we pursue godliness. You know, growing in God's grace is hard, hard work, but it is the most liberating, most life-giving work that you could ever be a part of. And it's difficult because there are so many obstacles and temptations for us growing, for us to continue growing in God's grace. In Peter's day, there was a very real threat of uh, false teachers, which we will look at uh, in greater detail in, in two Sundays. And in our day, we have very real threats to growing in grace as well. You know, one that comes quickly to mind, especially this past week, is Christian nationalism that portrays itself as true following of Jesus. It's a very real threat. As we, happen, as we remember the, the U.S. Capitol uh, last year. Another real threat that I see, even in myself, definitely in myself, is Christian judgmentalism against those who don't fully agree with me or do things the way that I would do them or I want others to do, uh, do them. I came across this word from writer and speaker Dante Stewart. Christian faith would be much healthier and healing if we didn't see our faith as a way of winning arguments, but a way of liberating and loving people. The evidence of growing in God's grace is always a deepening, tangible love for others. Grace begins with faith in Jesus and ends in love for others. And Peter is very clear about the dangers of not growing in, in God's grace in verse 8 and 9. He tells us that we become ineffective and unfruitful. We become so nearsighted that we are blind. He is saying that we are willfully choosing to be blind, even though we are capable of seeing. It's like we are choosing to forget that we were shown grace in the first place. In Peter's mind, for an individual and, and, and a community to not grow in God's grace in the present is an utter travesty. It's a complete disaster. It becomes a frustrating life because we don't do what we were meant to do and then we don't be who we are meant to be. And at the same time, you know, if God is gracious, it means that we believe, we, we believe deeply that God is eager to give more grace, even to those who feel like they've wasted or thrown away his grace, as long as they come to him earnestly. God's love displayed through Jesus means that God's grace never, ever runs dry. He will always have more grace to give to you. Growing in God's grace is not being perfect. It is about being persistent. Growing in God's grace is not about avoiding failure. It is about being faithful. Growing in God's grace doesn't mean that we have to have it all figured out and that we never feel stuck at times. God's grace, uh, growing in God's grace means that we are 
we understand that we aren't meant to um, do things on our own and we know exactly who we can turn to for help. And if we are serious about growing in, in grace, uh, specifically these qualities uh, listed in verses 5 to 7, you know, um, excellence, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, familial, sibling affection, and, and love, that word is agape, um, these qualities must be tangibly practiced in the context of community. I don't know how you can practice a growing in grace and love for others without a community. And here, we have to remember that no one at Cornerstone becomes like Jesus on their own. Not only do we need each other's help, but your growth in grace is my growth in grace, and my growth in grace is your growth in grace. So how will you grow in, in the grace of God, and how will you help others at Cornerstone grow in the grace of God? And more than ever, more than ever, especially with this pandemic, we need as many of us as possible to find creative and tangible ways to help our sisters and brothers at Cornerstone grow in God's grace to become more like Jesus, to live godly lives so that Cornerstone becomes a more loving church. If faith is the starting point and love is the end point, we want Cornerstone to be a more loving church that is able to love our city and, and our world in the way that Jesus would. Peter is very blunt here. Growth and grace in our lives must play out through concrete effort and exertion of energy towards Christ-likeness. So growing in my Christ-likeness and also caring about the Christ-likeness of others. And whether or not you serve at a, uh, within a particular ministry at Cornerstone, um, would you consider committing and, and, and finding a, a tangible way to grow in grace and help others grow in the grace of uh, God within our church community? Would you consider that? So God's grace gives us direction and purpose in the past as we remember Jesus. Uh, and when we remember Jesus, we see who we were meant to become. God's grace gives us direction and purpose in the present as we concretely practice and live out who, are, who we are meant to become through godly living. And lastly, our future. Keep in mind the finish line of God's grace. God's grace gives us... Um, direction and purpose because we see the finish line of God's grace. Again, Peter is very, very practical here. He, he does not want us to take for granted the grace that we received when we were first saved. He says it in verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Be all the more diligent. We are supposed to be diligent in living in a way that certifies. It, it, it confirms that God has graciously called us into new life through Jesus Christ. And when we confirm our calling and election, it, uh, it avoids a negative outcome. We see that we will never fall. But more importantly, it produces a positive outcome. We will be richly provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to look toward the, the future by keeping in mind the finish line of, of God's grace, this entrance into Jesus' eternal kingdom. This entrance being richly provided conveys that it has been abundantly given as a gift at someone else's cost, not ours abundantly given as a gift at someone else's cost, not ours. And for every follower of Jesus, all of life is, is grace. All of life is grace. No one earned the right 
to be saved by God's grace through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. No one has earned that. No one is able to become more like Jesus in this life apart from God's grace shown through Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to us. And no one will arrive at the final destination of eternity with Jesus apart from God's grace treating us like his son when we enter his kingdom. And it's all because of the cross. When we have the finish line of God's grace in view, we will cherish God's grace displayed to us in the past through Jesus Christ because we know that it's the same grace that allows us to enter into what we were created for. Perfect, unbroken, loving union with God the Father. When we have the future of God's grace in view, we will persist and, and persevere in growing in grace in the present because we can be certain that all the effort that we're putting in right now with the help of the Holy Spirit will lead us to growing our appetite more and more and more and more to enjoy Jesus forever. So the question that, that I had to rack my brain a little bit was what might it look like to keep in mind the finish line of God's grace as a church community, as a church family? One concrete thing that I thought of is to treat Cornerstone with a long-term perspective. Treat Cornerstone with a long-term perspective. We know that for a significant number of you, Boston is not where you will be for the rest of your life. Many of you, many of you will finish your academic uh, programs, your rotations, you'll get into a different school, receive a, a new job, or go through a, just any life transition that, that happens, and you will move out of Boston and leave Cornerstone. And as much as the pastors would love to have, have you stay as long as possible, we completely understand that God leads you, can lead you elsewhere, and and we commit, we, will, we promise that we will always pray for you, that God will be with you wherever you are. But would you think through, for however long you are in Boston, be it weeks, months, or years, would you consider finding a tangible way to help Cornerstone grow in God's grace beyond your departure? That's what it means to have a long-term perspective. It might mean to, um, for some of you to spiritually invest your time and energy to help just even one younger sister or brother grow in their discipleship to Jesus. It might be serving on a ministry so that future attendees of Cornerstone would be more blessed than how you were blessed in your time at Cornerstone. It might be using your spiritual gifts, your skills that you've, you've acquired through life, your passion, and, and find a way to create new opportunities for Cornerstone to bless our city and the world. And, you know, if those sound too daunting, it might be as simple as sharing an encouraging word, one word of encouragement with one person before you leave. Viewing Cornerstone, treating Cornerstone with a long-term perspective will be different for each of you. I can't tell you exactly unless we sit down and have a conversation what that might look like. But when we all find ways to extend the legacy of God's grace for future Cornerstone attendees, we will become more and more like the church that God wants us to be. We will become a church that invites more people into new life with Jesus. And that, that excites me. We will become a church more ready to be received into Jesus' eternal kingdom. And God's grace in Jesus Christ gives us a direction and purpose um, as, as a community. For our church family, God's grace gives us direction and purpose. When we see God's grace in the past through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are able to see who we were meant to become 
and what we are meant to do as a community. When we commit to growing in God's grace in the present, the hard work of pursuing Christ-likeness together will help our church community love others better, especially those who do not know Jesus yet. And when we keep in mind the, the finish line of God's grace in the future, we will never take God's grace for granted. And our church community will grow in our readiness to enjoy what we were created for. Perfect union, perfect relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Um, I want to close with a story. Um, uh, Arthur Burns was an American economist who served the our government in the United States in many roles, including being the chair of the Federal Reserve from 1970 to 1978. And throughout the 70s, there was a group of Christians who who gathered at the White House for prayer, and Arthur Burns began attending. And this was particularly, particularly surprising because he was Jewish. Every week, what happened at these prayer gatherings is that different people took turns to close in prayer. And out of respect and even uncertainty, maybe even some fear, Burns was never asked to pray. Uh, on one particular week, you know, the timing was perfect. The gathering was led by a newcomer who did not know the situation about Arthur Burns. And this, per- this newcomer asked Arthur Burns, would you close in prayer? Uh, one author describes the moment with these words. Without uh, missing a beat, Burns reached out, held hands with the others in the circle, and prayed this prayer. Lord, I pray you would bring Jews to know Jesus Christ. I pray you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. Finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes we treat coming to faith in Jesus, you know, that, that one day we prayed that salvation prayer as, as having arrived and that the rest of Christian life is just waiting until we, we arrive at, at heaven, arrive at eternity. But that would be like a married couple viewing their wedding day as the best day of their marriage only to drag their feet in enduring whatever is left of their lives together. We have to remember that the same grace that saved us uh, in the past is the same grace we need today. It's also the same grace we will receive when Jesus comes again or when we pass from this life. The same grace that Cornerstone needed when it was planted back in 2004 is the same grace that Cornerstone needs today in 2022, even though the circumstances are very different. And it will be the same grace that Cornerstone needs as long as it exists. So whether you have been a believer for decades or whether you did not believe in Jesus yet, I want to tell you that God desires to show you grace this morning. Whether you feel like you're on cloud nine in your relationship with God or whether you feel very far from God, maybe you even feel forgotten by God, He has more grace for you than you think. Whether you have been at Cornerstone since the the first Sunday in Central Square or whether this is your first Um, Sunday worshiping with us today, God wants to show you more grace. God wants to show Cornerstone more grace. Through remembering the grace shown through Jesus on the cross in the past, committing to grow in God's grace in the present and keeping in mind the finish line of God's grace in the future, 
my prayer is that God would show us who, were, who we were meant to be and what we were meant to do as individuals and as a church family. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, more than that, we thank you that your word points to Jesus Christ, the greatest manifestation of your grace. When we look at Jesus, we have proof positive of how much you love us. We thank you that your grace is not a concept. Your, your grace is, an, is a person. Your grace is, is manifested in, in your son and that you give your son to us. You treat us like your son. We, we receive all the benefits your son deserves to receive because of the cross. And Lord, on this particular Sunday, we don't want to see grace as an individual experience only. We want to see it as a corporate experience. We dream about Cornerstone becoming the church that you want it to become. And it's not going to be through our own effort. It's going to be you showing up when we ask for your grace. You showing up when we are ready to receive your grace, when we're practicing your grace with one another. So Lord, give us reminders of your past grace. Give us all the resources we need today to practice and live out lives that show who you are. And Lord, help us to never, ever lose sight of where we are headed. Give us a greater appetite for that if that, that, that feels distant, if that feels strange or maybe even um, not that desirable to us. That perfect relationship with you your Son and the Holy Spirit will give us the greatest fulfillment in all, all of creation and all of time. So through our time together, meet with my brothers and sisters here, wherever we're worshiping from, that you would show them more of your grace, which never, ever runs dry. We thank you, God. Continue to be with us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.